Welcome everyone to Faith and Purpose Podcast. Each episode of this podcast contains the personal testimony of an ordinary person transformed by an extraordinary God. My name is Kaylin and I'm here to introduce this podcast for my friend Jesse Duke. Jesse is a husband, father, author, life recovery guide, lay counselor, and small group leader, but his most important role is disciple. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesse created this podcast to help other believers tell their faith stories. We'll be hearing the personal testimonies of all sorts of people who have one thing in common. Jesus has transformed their lives. Jesus used parables because he created us to learn best through story. And as we listen to how God has worked in others' lives, we find encouragement and inspiration for our own faith walk. Whether you are already a believer or just a curious seeker, we believe that as you listen to these stories, you will be encouraged on your own faith journey. We are sure that God can speak to you through one of these episodes and that you will see that our Heavenly Father truly works all things together for our good when we simply love and trust Him. If you are currently going through a trial, we believe that you will come to see that your troubles, heartbreaks, and failures are not gravestones, but stepping stones into new life in Christ. Here's Jesse with today's guest. Welcome, everybody, to the Faith and Purpose Podcast. I'm Jesse Duke, and today I'm talking with my longtime friend, Clarence Jones. And I'm really excited about what he has to share with us today, and I know you're going to be blessed by it. Good to see you, Clarence. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I have my morning coffee, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, it's good to see you, and tell us, tell us about your spiritual journey well um just i know we met each other probably back in 2010 and you know you know a lot about my life but there's some things that uh that happened and i and i think it's probably best if i start to when i was born because i was born up north in the bronx uh, i grew up with five other siblings and um we didn't spend a whole lot of time going to church what I can remember about going to church is probably my grandmother smacking me in the back of the head whenever I fell asleep. Um, as we continue to grow and we became teenagers, I know my family, we all moved to uh, Florida because my brother had asthma really bad. So we ended up living in um, Miami and we were pretty poor. Uh, the man that was married to my mother left us stranded down there. He was supposed to sell a house and come meet us down there. But, uh, he ended up marrying my mother's sister, became a bigamist and, and left us, you know, broke my mother with six kids in Miami. So we we got into a, a lot of stuff down there as six kids just trying to struggle and making it. Um, I remember getting high with my brother, drinking with him and his friends. I started smoking marijuana at age 14. Um, we just, uh, we, we, we pretty much did what we wanted to do because our mother was never around. Uh, I remember after a while, it got to the point where it was so bad, my mom sent me and my sisters back up to New York to live with my grandmother. 
And uh, I was in the house, the only boy with three girls. That didn't go well. <laughs> I lived there for about three years. Um, I remember going to this one school where I was the only black kid in the whole entire school. And um, so I was subject to a bit of racism at that time. And, you know, as a young kid, you don't even use the word racism. You, you just know that you're different and you're treated a different way. And I was desperately just trying to fit in. So a lot of stuff I would just take. I, I remember taking a lot of things, the name calling and the joking and the insults and just laughing it off, thinking that these were my friends. But I was treated pretty badly at that school. Uh, my grandmother found out about it and she pulled me out. And then I was able to go back down to Miami and live with my mother again. But um, that wasn't any better because I got around my brothers. And once again, we were, you know, wild doing what we wanted to do. I can remember one particular time when my grandmother came back down there and she wanted to take me back to New York and I didn't want to go, you know, because we were poor in Miami. We didn't have much, but I had freedom. And at that age, freedom was everything. So I remember even cursing at my grandmother, telling her to leave me alone. And my mom didn't do anything about it. She never disciplined us. So I still regret that to this day. I know me and my brothers, we, uh, my older brother, George, we fought a lot. We even fought over the same girl. Once uh, we fought over the, the same girl, the first girl that I started dating, he ended up sleeping with her. So we fought over that. And it was, it was a, a lot of stuff going on in our family that was, wasn't great. And, you know, as a kid, I remember things, you know, my grandfather was molesting my uh, youngest sister for many years. And uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do anything about it. I remember when it all came out and my grandmother and my mother tried to sweep it under the rug. You know, they didn't want anybody to know about it. My grandfather ended up getting off. I don't even remember how he did. Somehow he never went to jail and never did any time for it, but he got off on that. And all those things bothered me as a child, but you know, I just didn't know how to express it. So I just bottled it up and I continued drinking, getting high with my brothers and my friends. I remember we lived in Miami, me and my sister, my oldest sister, my older brother, we used to have this bench outside in the yard and we would sit there and we would drink quarts of beer and, you know, we'd smoke and that's pretty much was our life there. Um, after uh, Miami, uh, I left and we moved to South Carolina. I remember me and my mother, my brother, we were on the road for a long time. And uh, we went to several different states and we ended up running out of money in South Carolina. So I lived in South Carolina, finished off high school there, um, met my first wife there. And uh, we got married at a very young age. And um, I had my first daughter when I lived in uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying to get it straight. It was in South Carolina. So we moved, I moved back down to Florida. Yeah. And um, me and my wife had a very volatile relationship. She ended up becoming a striptease dancer. <laughs> and I was a waiter in a restaurant. And then we were making so much money. All we did was cheat on each other, drink and fight. I don't know how I was able to even raise my daughter in that type of environment, but um, 
I remember I always used to try never to smoke in front of her. So I used to have this place outside where I would go and smoke and do my drugs. And then I would come back in the house. And uh, I, I don't I don't think that um I was hiding anything from my daughter. But at that time, I thought I was. Mm. So, you know, it, it wasn't a surprise. My daughter was about eight years old that me and my wife got a divorce at that time. So we left each other. Uh, we came back together a year later and we decided to give our marriage a second try. That's when I had my second son, well, my first son. But um, that wasn't planned. And I remember blaming her, thinking that, you know, she had gotten pregnant on purpose to trap me back. And we were just trying to work things out. So between that and everything else that was going on, that relationship didn't last. So I left. Uh, I left my wife with two kids because I, I just felt like, you know, I didn't want to be in that relationship anymore. I remember moving down to uh, Myrtle Beach with my older brother and this young girlfriend of mine's. Her name was Crystal. Same name as my daughter. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would like to sit here and tell you that she got me hooked on crack because um, she was smoking crack before me. But the truth of the matter is, I saw what she was doing. I liked it. And so I did it. So I have nobody to blame but myself. And, you know, I thought that I could just, because I, I did cocaine before, marijuana. I haven't done acid, but we had never, me and my brother always told us that we would never touch crack cocaine. But we ended up trying it and I liked it. And, you know, you never think about becoming a crack addict at the onset. You always think like, okay, I'm just going to try a little bit of it. I can handle it, you know, and you try And then you might go another three or four. It was like another three or four months before I tried it again. So I felt like I had it handled. But it's like they say in AA, like one is too much and a thousand are not enough because you have that one and you think, okay, well, I just had one. I can go a couple of months without doing another one. So I'm fine. But eventually, you know, I was doing it every day. I mean, I was making so much money and about 90% of everything I was making was going to pay my drug dealers. Mm. And I had moments of sobriety times when I would get off it for a year and I get back on it. I go back and forth, but um, I'd always end up back on the stuff again. I remember one time I thought I was, I was so proud of myself. I had went a whole year without drinking, smoking or doing any kind of drugs. So I felt like I should go out and celebrate. You know how I went out and celebrated? <laughs> I everything. I did everything. I felt like I deserved it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've been there. And um, that, 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 that was my life for a long period of time. Can I ask you a question? Uh, yes. I, I thank God I never did crack because I probably would have killed me. But uh, when you do crack, how long does the effect last now i'm not an expert so um i don't i mean let me ask you a question have you ever done coke before no okay well cocaine you snort it up your nose and it lasts a nice long time it gives you a nice mellow buzz it's really really nice and mellow when you do crack cocaine it's like you took that whole mellow buzz and compressed it into like five minutes of <laughs> you know, it, it, it like it takes you it just it just it 
it it's a real big rush and it, and but it doesn't last long it lasts about five maybe 15 minutes tops so mm-hmm. right away you want to do some more and you want to do some more you want to do some more you want to do some more um me and this girl we used to have this joke we used to play we look at each other right before we we do our first hit, and I said, "I meet you on Planet Nine. I'll meet you on Planet Nine. <laughs> we take a hit, and we be in our own little world." Yeah, you know, I've I've seen guys they get really paranoid. They would like this one guy we get high. He would go and he would hide under the kitchen table because he thought police were getting ready to kick the door in any minute. <laughs> I never could do that because I felt like if any type of drug that I did was going to make me that paranoid. Why do it? Because you can't enjoy it. And um, a lot of people like to blame the drugs. And it gets to the point where the drugs are the problem, mm-hmm. but they are never the uh, the initiator of the problem. Mm-hmm. The initiator of the problem was my childhood and what I what, what I was lacking from my childhood. And I didn't even know that, you know, I was lacking guidance. I was lacking a father. I was lacking a mother that I felt like they didn't care. And all those things that I really needed that I didn't know I needed is what led me to the drugs. Now the drugs eventually became the problem, but until I go back and I find out what the initiator of that problem was and deal with that trauma, I could never get off the drugs. That's why I would stay sober for a year and get back on it. Or I, I do six months, a year, you know, doesn't matter how long I stayed off the drugs. I always got back on it because I never went back and dealt with that initial trauma. Mm. Um, it wasn't until I checked myself, because I always had a job. That's one thing. I, I always worked. Had to pay for my habit. I wasn't about to bum. I wasn't that type of guy that's going to go out in the street and try to hustle for my money. No, I'm going to get me a J-O-B. <laughs> Jesse, it got so bad. I've been doing budget since I was 21 years old. I used to budget drugs into my monthly budget. I would have rent, electricity, crack, <laughs> laundry, and I would budget it in. You know, I mean, one time I was waiting tables, and um, I would sometimes I would scratch my my budget down on a sheet of paper you know, just until I got home and this girl found my budget. She said, you really shouldn't put drugs on your budget. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, shoot, I, I left that lying around somewhere. So, um, but you know, that was me. So I always had a job. I always worked. I always, I, I led a life that, um, you know, people that worked with me and that saw me had to see me one way. When I went out and did my drugs, I made sure that I went to places where I felt were the most, in lack of a better word, most negative people possible, because I didn't want those two worlds to mix. In other Mm -hmm. words, in this world, I would never run into the people over here, like my family or people I work with, or people Mm -hmm. that saw me as maybe an upstanding citizen, those that maybe did see me that way. So when I did my drugs, I always went to neighborhoods or places where it was like really, really bad because I would never run into those people. That way I can keep those two worlds separate. Mm-hmm. Man, that was a lot of work. Man, that was so much work. I lied. I used to sit down sometimes and just think up lies. I had this whole story 
laid out in my mind how I would lie in order to get money from this person or to lie to one of my girlfriends about where I was or whatever it was. It was just this elaborate stories I would tell to the point where sometimes I, I would get high and I would actually believe on myself because I'd be so out of it. But um, like I said, that was my life until uh, I woke up one day in this crack house and I was in my underwear, I'll be honest with you. And I had this shirt on and I didn't even know where the shirt came from. And there was one thing that I knew. I knew I couldn't live my life like this anymore, but I didn't know how to stop. But I knew that I could get my life together for a while. I could get my job back. I could get my fiance back. Cause at the time I was engaged. I could even, I even knew how to repair the relationship with my son. I knew how to do all these things cause I could talk my way into anything. But what I didn't know how to do was how do I not end up back here again? After I got everything back, cause that was my way. I would talk my way back into everybody's good graces, get my job back, save up a little bit of money. But as soon as I did that, I said, how do I not end up here again? And I couldn't answer that question. So that's when I quit my job, gave up my apartment, and I checked myself into rehab. This was at the, um, the Adult Rehabilitation Center in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, I was there for a, for a six-month program. And uh, I was pretty serious about getting my life together at that point. That was kind of like almost right before you met me. I think you met me when I left that center. Mm. But two months into that center, I needed a belt because I didn't. I, when you go there, you have nothing and you're not supposed to steal. But I figured, you know, I need a belt for my pants. So I stole the belt. I got caught. And I remember one of the residential advisors took me in the office and said, we have two choices. We can either kick you out of the program for stealing or you can start the program all over again. So I took that as God giving me even another chance. And at that point, I didn't really know God like I know him today. And I was just so thankful for that because I thought for sure I was gone. I was even thinking to myself how I was going to be back out on the streets again. And I think to myself, are you kidding me? I'll start the program over again. I'll stay here as long as you need me to stay here. And I'll never steal anything again in my entire life. So I looked at that as a blessing. A lot of guys would have just kind of walked away and said, bump this, I'm not starting over again because you got to start over. You got to take all these classes again. But it was a blessing to me. And I was in the office talking to um, my counselor about a week later. And um, I remember just breaking down in front of her and uh, she just took me by the hand and took me to the chapel. And, and that's when I rededicated my life to Christ. And uh God became everything in my life from that moment on. It was, it was just, I, I can't even describe that feeling. I'm thinking about it now. It's just kind of, yeah. So after that day, I mean, my, my life really changed because, I mean, I was in the center, but, and I was trying to do the right thing, but, you know, giving your life to Christ and making him everything in your life, it changes you. Everything became 
so important to me to do the right thing. And not because of the rules and the regulations, but because of the way he looked at me and for what he forgave me for. Because I was nothing. Anyway, uh, I remember um, going to this room to be by myself, just reading the Bible and, and just trying to understand it and study. I, I remember seeing guys there and they would still uh, smoke cigarettes and do other things. And, you know, I didn't pass judgment on anybody, but none of that was for me anymore. I mean, I, I couldn't do anything but what I thought was going to honor God. Eventually, I took over running the dock at the Salvation Army. And every guy before me that took over running the dock would always, um, they would always like get tips from people that would come. Like we'd have the public that would come in during auction days and they weren't supposed to take money. And these guys, they would stack up all this money. And when I took over the dock, you know, I, I didn't do any of that. I, I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do anything that was going against what um, you know, what God wanted me to do. You know, there's one thing I live my life by. It's like um, you you have these rules in society, right? And then you have God's law. So, I follow the rules of society as long as they don't go against God's law. Mm. You know, if God says not to steal, so you know, even though in society some people feel it's okay to steal, you know. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not supposed to lie. And uh, it's it's not, it's it's difficult to really understand because people think, okay, as a Christian, you know, you live by all these rules. And, and it's not the rules that guide me, but it's my love of Christ that guides me. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that I'm afraid of breaking the rules. It's that I, I don't want to disappoint the person that gave everything for me. Mm -hmm. That's what drives me, you know, Following the rules is just a byproduct of loving God. When you have a relationship with Christ, you can't base it on anything that anybody else says or what anybody else does. It has to be personal between you and him. Now, you can have people disciple you. I've got a lot of people in my life that I respect and that I go to advice. You're one of them. Rick Lee is another, Pastor Darrell. But I don't place any of you guys on a pedestal because I realized as much as I love and I respect so many people in this world that they are people. So I didn't know at that time that the Holy Spirit came inside me, but I know now, I didn't know what it was. At that time when I gave my, I, I, I just started crying uncontrollably. I went to the chapel, I went, I kneeled down. And uh, I remember uh, one of the um, chaplains came by and put his hand on my shoulder and I couldn't stop shaking. And the Holy Spirit, it was convicting me. Everything in my mind was, I was thinking about all that stuff that I had done, all that horrible things that I had done in my life. And God was going to accept me back into his family, even though I had did all that. So I felt like, man, I cannot let this person down again. But I thought that I would. And I, I didn't think I was worthy. And I think that's why I was, you know, just so grateful and so thankful. And I think that's what strengthened my relationship. It became paramount to me not to disappoint God. Mm. That became more important to me than anything else in the world. 
anything. I can't describe how important that was to me because I felt like I didn't deserve it. You know, who does that? Who, 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 who takes a person like me after all the stuff that I've done and just say, Hey, come on home. It's all good. Mm. You know? So, and, uh, it was the Holy spirit convicting me. And then I, if I tell you that I never got tempted again, I get tempted all the time. I mm -hmm. think about, I still have drug dreams is what I call them. Sometimes I'm driving in a car and I'm thinking about doing all kinds of stuff. But before I go out and I do anything, I think about all that God has forgiven me for mm. and everything that he has put in my life today. And it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it. But that was just part of the process, Jesse. You have to have a strong relationship with Christ. And that only comes from truly connecting your heart. It's got to come from here. You can say the words. People say, I'm a Christian. You can memorize the bible um i still have a hard time memorizing scripture mm. but um i think that in order well, to be a christian you, it has to be from the heart you yeah say? yeah well you use the word family I mean, it was like i don't know if you heard yourself but you you said you it was like finding a family i don't remember your exact words but so you you started to see God as your father? Yeah. It was more than like that. I mean, he was my father, my teacher, um, my counselor. He was everything to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, saying he was my father is a good thing to say, but it's so much more than just that. It, it mm -hmm. really is. Um, I never knew my father. Well, not really well so I, and that was one of the things that i had to work through but um god became everything to me and uh for those next uh i think it was like four months that i was in that center it was uh it was important to me these are the things that became important to me not to judge i couldn't judge anyone because you know god didn't judge me he didn't care what I did. So I didn't want to be that type of person. I, um, I wanted to honor God in everything I did, even when I was by myself, you know, and I just really wanted to, um, to learn more about who God was and how to spend time with him. So those things were where I spent most of my time. Mm. And, uh, you know how they say when you give your life to Christ, everybody thinks, oh, angels are coming and your life's going to be easy. But we as Christians know that once you give your life to Christ, that's when the devil starts looking at you. So mm -hmm. things started getting tough for me. They really did. People who I thought was like in a position that worked for the center that I thought I should be looking up to were treating me in a way that I said, how could these people treat me this way? They're supposed to be role models for me to look at i mean uh this one chaplain he used to get up and preach in front of us and he would curse at us he would call us a bunch of um bums and you know just all kinds of stuff like that and i said well how could he say that about i mean how is that going to help us to become better men 
uh, there was this one guy that stole the shirt from me. He was one of the RAs that worked on floor. And when I went to his room, just to ask for my shirt back, I got cursed out. <laughs> so a little bit of the old me wanted to come out <laughs> and give him a little what for, but God stayed my hand. He stayed my hand. And I, I ended up just saying, okay, the shirt wasn't that important, you know? Um, and it really wasn't. You know, but we we get a limited amount of clothing in there. So it was to me, it seemed like it was important. But, you know, you take that time to let the Holy Spirit say, hey, you know what? I'll get you another shirt. I'll get you a better shirt. Mm. So you, you have to you have to really allow the Holy Spirit to work in you because we still live in this flesh. So mm. when something happens, the flesh wants to immediately react. I get mad. I want to immediately, you know, hit somebody, do something. But if I take a moment and I let the Holy Spirit rest in my soul, it helps me to think things through and say, okay, well, maybe I'll do this another way. Mm. But without the Holy Spirit there guiding you, you'll, re you'll react. And I think that's, that's why a lot of people just, you know, if it feels good, do it. I, I right. know because I used to be that person. So you have to take time. You know, it's a, it, God's time isn't like our time. Anyway, when I left the center, I left with a guy that was, uh, you may have remembered this guy named Britt. I, I stayed mm -hmm. with him. He offered to let me live with him. And, uh, you know, after I started living with him, things changed. You know, he started going back out doing stuff. He treated his wife really bad. I mean, he didn't even tell her I was going to be living there. So she got mad at me. And then he wanted me to pay him everything I had. And I, I told him, look, I, you know, I'm not going to have much money. I have to find a job. And then after I find a job, I want to try to get out of your house as quick as possible. So I'm going to give you what I can, but I want to save because I figured the best thing that I could do for you is to move out. I appreciate you helping me, but I mean, this is you and your wife's home. I don't want to stay here forever, but um, he made it really difficult for me to the point where, you know, I just felt uncomfortable, but um, I remember he had let me hold his bike to ride back and forth to work. And I appreciated that. And uh, one day I was going to get the bike to go to work and the bike was all taken apart. And he said, well, it's my bike. I needed to take it apart. And I said, well, that's okay. I, I get it. It's your bike. But I said, it would have been nice for you to tell me this before, you know, it's like 15 minutes for me to get to work. Mm. So I run over to Barnabas and I see a bike over there. And I tell the woman, I said, look, I'm, I'm on my way to work right now. Can you, uh, I'm going to, this is going to make me cry again. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> can you hold this bike for me? And I'll promise I, I'll come back right after work. I said, don't sell it. I'm going to come back and buy 15 minutes. She said, where, where do you work? I thought I worked in Abbey. She said, go ahead and take the bike. And I said, but I have, I don't have any money. She said, just pay me when you come back. And man, Jesse, I tell you, it was, it wasn't a great bike. It was only $15. But I felt God's hand over all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that bike, you know, it was, that was everything to me at that time. Because who would trust me mm. to take a bike? <laughs> you know, I mean, because, I mean, I, it doesn't really mean a whole lot, but here I am, some black guy coming into your store. You never met me before. You don't know me. Mm. And I tell you, hold on to a bike. I didn't even expect her to hold on to the bike. I just thought I'd give it a try. She she let me take the bike. Mm. And um, 
it, it was paramount to me to make sure I went back and paid that. And I did. I went back and paid for the bike. In less than a month, I was out of his house. In less than a month after that, I bought a car. Um, God was able to um, just to help me to, to do all those things, you know, because I, I couldn't do any of them on my own. Um, I remember walking into the Journey Church, uh, meeting Kim Bales, nicest person I ever met in my life. And after that, that was my home church. I hadn't met Tamara yet because I was still trying to get back with my uh with my son's mother my the one the woman that I had left in Jacksonville I thought for sure God was going to repair that relationship you know I'd even gotten some advice from Ben Hall and Jonathan Mock about what to do and so I wrote her a letter and all this stuff but you know she just told me she had moved on God just completely slammed that door in my face mm. <laughs> and I mean, that was one of my whole things. And so I was kind of at a crossroads at that time because I thought, okay, this is what I thought was going to happen. I was going to come down here, you know, get my life together and get back with my children's mother. And we were going to have that life that we thought we were going to have. I thought for sure that was God's plan for me, but God had another plan. And in my mind, I said, well, you know what? If she's not getting back to me, what am I doing all this for? I was so close walking across the street where I lived and I could just tell from the neighborhood where to get the drugs from you know mm -hmm. when you are out there in the streets you know so I knew I could go and get what I wanted to get and get high and just let my troubles go away but instead I went into my little apartment and I put on some Christian music and it was the hardest thing in the world Jesse I take for me to sit there and just get into that music I don't think I really listened to it. I was just trying to drown out the other voice in my head. And that was hard. I spent like a week doing that. And then finally, like I said, I, I gave the Holy Spirit time to work on my flesh. That took a while because that was the closest I came to going back out there again after giving my life to Christ. So I'm not perfect, even as a Christian, you know, but um, I didn't go. You know, I, I, I allowed him to work on me. It took some time, but it did. And then I don't know if you know, uh, Jeanette Richo. She was, uh, she used to work at the Salvation Army and I would go down oh, and yeah. uh, donate my time when I couldn't find a job. And she said, I have this girl I want you to meet. She's yeah. very athletic and real smart. And my first thing was, oh my God, she must look like a dog. <laughs> 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 I'm very honest, that's my first thought. Yeah, <laughs> but I love Janet. So I said, okay, Janet, I'll meet her. And I didn't want to, I really didn't want to meet her. I, I just didn't really want to meet anybody, to be honest with you. And so then I was going to the journey church, but Janet, she was a pastor at her church. So I, I said, after church, I'll come by. Cause you know, they, they, their church goes long. So I went over there and I was, my plan was to go up there, meet this girl, say, Hey, how you doing? My name's Clarence. Nice to meet you. Got to go. And I was going to be out the door because I had things to do. But um, Tamara came walking up the stairs and mm -hmm. I said, she looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I'll, I'll sit and I'll talk for her for a little while. And um, we talked for over an hour. Mm. I mean, and, uh, you know, that was that was it. I mean, God had placed her in my life. And, you know, I she was the type of girl that I would have never, ever been interested in if I had met her five years prior. Mm -hmm. And if she had met me five years prior, she would have had nothing to do with me. 
she was smart. She was intelligent. And most of the women that I met before that were smart and intelligent, I didn't want to have time with them because to me, they were so condescending. It's like they were trying to put me in my man's place. Mm-hmm. But Tamara never did that. I mean, she was very smart, very very sure of herself, but she was also kind in a way that I never met a woman like that before that could that could be that way and, and still be, you know, approachable and talk to them. You know, most of the women I've spent my time around were, I hate to say it, but fast women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, but um, yeah, that was a, uh, we, um, well, you know that story. So I, I know I kind of jumped all over the place, but um, uh, the, the way I was able to, um, to keep myself off of drugs was, was Christ, of course. But, you know, there's this story where this guy's in the ocean, right? And he's a Christian. He believes in God. And a ship comes by to save him. And he says, that's okay. God's got me. Okay, mm-hmm. so the ship goes on. Then a helicopter comes by to pick him up. He said, that's okay. God's got me. God's going to save me. So the helicopter leaves. So then an airplane drops down a ladder and these emergency guys try to, he said, nope, that's okay. God's got me. I got faith in God. God's going to save me. So they go. So the guy stays out there in the ocean and he ends up dying. So he goes to heaven and he said, God, why didn't you save me? So the guy said, well, I sent a ship, I sent a helicopter, I sent a plane, but you didn't get on any of them. <laughs> so my point is that, you know, having faith in God does not mean that we just wait for this gigantic miracle to come and change our lives. Sometimes we got to do the work. Mm. And we have to notice when God is working in our lives, you know. So I had to do the work. I had to go to men's fraternity and I had to deal with a lot of issues that I didn't want to deal with. I had to face a lot of things about my childhood that I didn't want to face. You know, I had to have a lot of hard conversations about, you know, basically not love, not really liking my mother very much, about blaming my dad for leaving my mom, um, never having a decent male role model in my life. And my father died before I got a chance to really confront him with anything. So then I was left like, well, how do I even resolve this? But, you know, there are ways to do things, even if people have passed before you get a chance to talk to them about the things that they may have done to cause you trauma. So I wrote him a letter. Um, I remember I always planned to go to his grave site and, and have a talk with him at the grave. But I never got a chance to do that. But, you know, I, I did have a chance to really pray on it a lot and, and talk about it and realizing that these are the things that made me into the person that I was. And it helped me to move past it. You know, to this day, me and my mother don't have a great relationship, but I love her and I no longer blame her for my childhood. Mm. It comes to a point in a person's life, sometimes even as a teenager, that you have to take responsibility for your actions. Mm. And I did a lot of things. My mother did the best she could. She had six kids and she was broke. I mean, she may have not did everything perfect, but she did the best she could. And I had, it took me a long time to get past that. And, you know, you're never going to, you know, God's not just going to, he can, he can fix and do anything, but it's not always going to be, you know, the Lord just waves his hand and all your problems go away. You know, we have to get in there and do the work. He will give you the ability and he will put people in your life that will 
help you to work through these things, but you have to accept it mm-hmm. and you have to do it. And uh, Christ will never leave you. He will always be there with you. You know, he's not going to fix every one of your problems. Not that he can't, but, you know, as human beings, we have to understand that sometimes by going through things, we come out better in the end, you know, but we have to go through it because if we don't go through it, then we'll never learn anything and we will remain the same selfish people in the end. And I don't know, some people just don't really get that. It's like, I don't know how to make diamonds, but I know when it starts out, it's not this nice, shiny thing. It has to go through a process, (laughs) you know, a painful one. Yeah, a painful one, (laughs) but it comes out better in the end. So you say, okay, well, well, why do we have to go through the pain? Why can't we just come out better in the end? Because, you know, it just don't work that way. (laughs) You, You don't just become a good person just because you don't go through anything. You have to go through this thing. Um. Because I don't know if that's just the way things are. Uh, laws of nature, you know, we, we're not going to become better people unless we learn how to do it. If children are given whatever they want, do you think that they're going to grow up to be great people? Yeah, it is a slim chance one in every 500 might do that. But most kids, if you just give them whatever they want their entire life, they're going to be selfish, self-absorbed people. That's mm-hmm. why you have to discipline them. You have to teach them. You have to learn. And, uh, you know, sometimes as human beings, we have to go through things. And I and I had to go through a lot to become the person that I was today. And I'm still going through things. Um, to this day, I still struggle with sexual immorality. Um, just, you know, with technology, there's things on my phone that I happen to look at that I have to turn off right away. My mm-hmm. mind tends to wander sometimes. Maybe I might look at a young lady a little too long. I might think something in my head. But uh, my wife told me this many years ago. She said, it's okay for a bird to fly around your head. Just don't let him land and build a nest. <laughs> so there ain't no nesting. <laughs> She's very wise. Yes, she is. And I still struggle. So it's it's not easy. But... It's a whole lot easier than it used to be. I rely on God for everything. You know, when I make a mistake and I do still make mistakes, I mess up. I go to him immediately. I own it. Um, Where before I used to make excuses for my mistakes. Now I own my mistakes. Yes, I messed up. Yes, I did this. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this anymore. Sometimes it's as simple as that. You know, you have to turn away from those things. And uh, learn something from it. Because if you make a mistake and you make excuses for that mistake, well, then you'll never learn anything. And you're bound to make that mistake over and over again. But Mm. if you own that mistake and you take ownership of it, you realize what you did was wrong. You repent from it. You can turn away from it. And hopefully you won't make that mistake again. And if it does, you know, you'll make it a lot less than you did before. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and well, I, you know, when you were telling me about how you, you when you're, I think it was your first wife who, who said she shut the door and she wasn't, you weren't going to have that relationship. You're, you were tempted to go back out mm-hmm. to drugs, right? I was. The fact 
that you forced yourself to put yourself in your apartment and listen to Christian music and just, you toughed it out for a week. I mean, that was extraordinary. That To me, that was like, uh, that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, that was uh, like, when you, as you're talking now about going through things and dealing with uh, life the way that you do is that, that initial thing with the uh, re resisting the drugs was so illustrative of, of how you handle life. You just, you really are extraordinary in that way because a lot of people are caved in face of all these difficulties, especially knowing that drugs would be a quick answer. <laughs> so. I spent so many years hiding what I was doing. I mean, I, mean, I could, I could, I hate to say it, but I could teach a class on how to get away with doing drugs. <laughs> I, used to, I used to be, I used to go to this restaurant and I would go in the bathroom. Well, and I, I would, I would hit the crack and then I would cut the vent on and I would blow the smoke up in the vent. Mm. I would wash my hands, wash my face, spray on cologne, and I'd be back out there in front of the customers waiting table. <laughs> I mean, sometimes if the vent wasn't working, I knew how to flush the toilet at the right time to blow it down. I hope I'm not teaching anything. <laughs> but I'm saying I, I know ways to get away from, but you know what? All that doesn't mean anything because throughout my life after I became a Christian, God has shown me so many times that he was there for me. Mm. It was this one incident with Pastor Darrell and Pastor Darrell didn't know me very well. I mean, we had just met, I don't know, a couple of months and, you know, he's a pastor of the church. So he meets a lot of people. He wanted to sell this refrigerator that was in the back and people were coming by to pick it up. He said, he's like, look, Clarence, I'm... I was helping at the food ministry. He said, these people are coming by to pick up this refrigerator. I think they're going to pay him about six, $700, something like that. I need you to get that money for me. Just hold on to it and then bring it by tomorrow. And I looked at him and I said, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, do you know me? You want me to collect six or $700 for you? I mean, what if it was seven and I said it was six? Or what if I said they did? I mean, why would you trust me? You don't even know me. I didn't say this, but this was going on in my head. And so he, he looked at me like it was just matter of factly, like, you know, hey, this is what I asked people to do. So it became paramount for me to get that money, to make sure I get a receipt, to make sure I get it back to him. Because if he was going to take a chance and trust me so, I don't know, just so carelessly, there was no way I was going to let him down. Mm. And God kept doing stuff and putting things in my life like that. And you know, those are the things that would happen in my life that would reassure me that the Holy Spirit, God was always with me. God was, he was, he wasn't judging me from my past. Mm -hmm. You know, I know people hear you hear that all the time when you give your life to Christ, you know, you're no longer that person, you are reborn. And, you know, it, it might get kind of muddled up. People say, oh, I'm reborn. I'm, they don't understand it. But you truly are reborn. You you are the same person. You're in the same skin. You have the same thoughts, but you are not the same. You are not mm -hmm. the same. Because, and here is, I'm going to simplify it for anybody that's thinking about it. Because before, when this happened, I would do that. Now when this happens, I do something else. 
Mm. And the something else that I do is a positive thing that honors God. Mm. And why do I do that? Because I take the time to let the Holy Spirit guide my flesh rather than respond. Because that's what we do as human beings. We respond in the flesh. We, we do this, we do that, we do that. This happens, boom. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit, all, all it really does is, is it gives you time to sit back and let God guide you. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, I mean, I don't know, it, it's, it's really... Yeah, I don't want to let that point go by without people really hearing it because you've said it twice now that just taking the time to pause before you react and listen to the Holy Spirit is so, so important. I mean, I, I know because I've, <laughs> I haven't done it so many times. I have really messed up by not just pausing. And you know, there's another thing with, if you don't mind me taking up <laughs> this time, it's in the same vein, you know, when we talk about anger, you know, it's so easy to get triggered and to be angry. And I've made the mistake so many times of just not waiting, just to just, you know, how they used to say count to 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, there is a thing that I, I learned and the hard way is that when we get angry, there's this, this hormone cortisol it shoots through our body and it's the fight or flight response but but that hormone has a life span of about 90 seconds so if we could just give it some time and let that let that hormone get through our body then we're, we're less likely to make some really stupid decisions and say some things that we're going to regret do some things we would regret Man, I learned that the hard way, but uh, I love your point. You've made it power, pretty powerfully, and I think people need to hear that. It's just pause, you know, and, and in the big book, you know, it says pause when agitated or doubtful and ask God for help. That pause is so important. It is. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Okay. I mean, that's a guy that me and my wife, we, uh, we still argue from time to time. <laughs> mm. I got to be honest with you. That's probably one of the most difficult times <laughs> when I got, um, you really need to pause with your wife. Mm. <laughs> you don't want to say something. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love my wife. She's great. She's intelligent. She's beautiful. But, you know, we, we, we have conflict. Mm -hmm. And um, it's that thing where it says uh, never go to bed on your anger. I will admit that we do honestly try to do that, but there are some times when we fail. Mm -hmm. But uh, I will say this. We always, even sometimes if it takes a day, we will always come back and we, we will deal with the conflict. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I never used to do. I never dealt with conflict. If I'm mad at you, I ain't talking to you. I ain't looking at you. I ain't. I don't know you. <laughs> right, right. But you have to you have to learn to deal with conflict. Yeah. Right. It sounds like you've done a pretty good job there. <laughs> I, I mean, know. we never I don't think we ever get to the point where we don't get angry and <laughs> we don't have conflict. It's just we gotta deal with it in a mature way. And you 
thank you for bringing that up because people need to hear that. Yeah. Pray with your wife. We pray together. We pray every morning. Mm, me, me too. Me and Becky pray every day, every morning. Uh, before we leave, I go to work and she does her thing. <laughs> but constantly, uh, it's a thing. A lot of people I heard on the heard a Christian radio program the other day about how it's a certain large percentage of even Christians couples don't pray together because it's too personal. And I think, yeah, I mean, it took us a while to get there, but we we can't live without it now. Oh man, it's so powerful. When two or more are in agreement, we're just coming before the Lord. Man, he answers prayers all the time for us. Just amazing how he he comes he comes through in every situation. And um, pray with your wife and pray for your wife. And we even pray with our son. And I'm gonna tell you, 17 year old boy, mm. it's it's not always easy to pray with him. This one woman came into a restaurant. Me and Terrence were sitting down in there, and she just. We knew her because her son played basketball with Terrence. And um, I asked her about her husband and she just started telling us about how her and her husband were separated, were going through a divorce and all this stuff. And me and Terrence are like, my gosh, I mean, I can't believe you're, you're just telling us all this right out here in public. So, um, I mean, I just listened, you know, I mean, we knew her, but I mean, I, I just, I felt a little uncomfortable, but you know, if she wanted to pour her heart out, I was going to listen. And when she was done and she looked like she was about ready to cry, so I grabbed her hand. I grabbed my son's hand. I said, let's let's pray right now. So we sat there in the middle of the restaurant. I think we had um, some, uh, what was that, Chipotle's. And we just prayed for her, mm. you know. And um, later on after that, she called my wife and she was going on and on about how that was just everything to her. It picked her up and thank you for your son and your and your husband and you know, because uh I don't know, I just I think it's important to do stuff like that. You know, pray with people. And it's not so important to pray with them in public, but mm. it's important to pray with them when you're being urged to do it, mm. whether you're in public or not. Right. The Bible talks about, you know, the um some of the, I don't know, people that were praying in public just to be seen. And there's nothing wrong with praying in public, but if that's the only reason you're doing it, then, you know, you need to check. But what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't shy away from praying with people when you are urged to do it. Right. And um, yeah. I still work on that. Sometimes I get a little, ooh, people are watching me, but, you know, there are times when, I will break through that and I'll just do it. Mm -hmm. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Well, what I hear you saying is you're obedient to the, to the Holy spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I try my best to be. <laughs> was there, if there was maybe one major thing that you could share with somebody out there with believer or non-believer, one thing that you could, you could pass on to somebody out there in the world out there in the future or anybody who might just happen to stumble across this podcast what uh, what advice would you have the best advice i can give to somebody is, is uh, something that i learned 
and it deals with trauma because I think that word is people try to make it more complicated than it really is. Trauma to me is anything that that's happened to you in your life that, you know, has caused you to act in, in, in a negative way. And trauma could be something as, it could be as big as maybe your, your dad walking out, or maybe you were bullied as a child, but whatever it is, and I know it's hard, we have to learn to deal with that initial trauma in our lives, whatever it is. And, and I think that's important. I think there's so many people deal with traumas that they don't, sometimes I was dealing with trauma that I didn't even know was. Mm -hmm. so I blame my dad for things and I didn't, even, I didn't even realize that I blamed him for anything. So my one advice is to find out what is that one thing in your life that may cause you to be this way if you feel like you're you're living your life in a negative way because it's always trauma is always the root to our negative behavior it's, it's something that happened and sometimes it's difficult to find it but it's important to find it because if you don't find it and deal with it yeah it's your life is never going to be quite right right so that's really important Yes, I know so many people that need to hear that. Well, anything else you want to add? Uh, I don't want to um, cut you short. I, and, <clears throat> no, I mean, just love God, love people. <laughs> love God, love people. I, I will share one more thing because I, I, I learned a lot. And I like to share because things these are things that used to confuse me. Because a, a lot about, you know, Christianity used to confuse me. And I remember I was in this class and we were learning how to, uh, to hear from God. And I'm like, how do you hear from God? I don't, I don't hear nothing. Is he talking? <laughs> mm. So my, he used this example. Rick Lee used this example. And he said, because um, I, I got a big mouth and I talk a lot, you know. And so Rick said, if... um if everybody closed their eyes, people that didn't know me and I started talking, would they know it was me? And they probably wouldn't know it was me. So Rick said, if I closed my eyes and Clarence started talking, I would know it was him, even though I couldn't see him. Mm. And the reason why he would know it was me is because he spent time with me. He mm. got used to me. He, he knows me. So even if he doesn't see me, when he hears my voice, he recognized it was me. So he used that point to say, the reason why we don't hear from God is because we don't know God. We mm. don't spend time with him. But the more time we spend with God, the more time we get to know him, then we will start to notice the things in our lives that are from God. So how do you spend time with God? Well, one of the easiest ways to spend time with God is in his word. Read your Bible. You could spend time with God by speaking to people that you know are following the Lord, people that you respect, and you can go to church. So you, and then one of the most important one is prayer, either one of those things. And if you don't know how to pray, prayer is just talking to God. So spend time doing those things. And at first this might seem awkward. It might seem, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm reading, but keep doing it anyway. Keep doing it anyway. And eventually, you'll start to notice how God communicates with you. 
God communicates with you in a lot of ways. It could be a big boom, booming voice, but it might not be. One time we drove our car off of 95 going like 80 miles an hour. We pulled down on Pecan Park Boulevard. And as soon as we pulled down on Pecan Park Boulevard, we got a flat tire and I pulled over the side of the road. I got out the car, me and my wife, we prayed and we thank God for flattening our tire because if our tire would have gotten flat on 95, we probably wouldn't have been alive to talk about it. So that was a way that God was communicating with me saying, hey, look, man, I got you. And I wouldn't have noticed that. Now, had I not been spending time with God, I'd be like, man, I got a flat tire. Now I got to do this. I got to do that. And that would have been my attitude. That would have been mm -hmm. most people's attitude. But my attitude was, thank you, God, mm -hmm. for making that tire hold off until we got on a secondary road where we were not going that fast. Mm. Because when a tire bops like that, it can go anytime. So that's an example to see that, you know, you will hear from God and you can communicate with God if you spend time with him. The more time you spend with anybody, I know your voice, whether I'm looking at you or not, because mm. I spent time with you. I know mm. what you sound like. I've, I've gotten used to you. The same thing works with God. And that, that's one thing that used to really confuse me when I was early in my Christian life and learning, man, how, do I, how do I hear from God? But um, I learned that if you spend time with him, just like you would anybody else, you will eventually learn to hear the way he communicates with you. That is so so awesome so beautiful I, yeah about i guess it was maybe five or six years ago i saw you know jesus said in john uh, i think it's ten twenty seven. he says my sheep hear my voice i know them and they follow me and i said lord i want to learn what that means i want to hear your voice and everything that you just described is so true it's just so true you got to spend time with him you got to listen i mean but I mean, it's just so awesome. Like I'll be at work and I say, I'll drop a screw or something in the dirt. And first thing I do is I say, Holy Spirit, will you show me? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he answers before I even finish the, you know, asking. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes I'll hear, it sounds like my voice. It's I'm saying something really smart and I'm thinking, well, I know that's not me, but that's God and uh, you know it, it happens and, and uh, I think people really need to, to hear what you just described because it's so important you know I, I've also heard the analogy of you know a marriage you know what if what if I don't talk to my wife <laughs> if I'm not gonna have a relationship if I don't talk to her so I found that if I just talk to him throughout the day, he's going to talk back. Yeah. And uh, it's so such an intimate thing. It's, uh, it's hard to describe, but I, I know what you mean. And I know that there's somebody out there that needed to hear that today. Uh, I hope so. I mean, he's just, God has been really great to me. And uh, life isn't always easy, but, you know, God's always there, mm. always there. Um, well, would you be willing to pray for uh, the people who, who are listening to this podcast? You know, think about this is what this is the miracle of, of modern technology, which was not even 
thought of, but when when I was born anyway, that we can do this podcast and have it. It's going to exist probably for I don't know another century out there until it, they come up with a technology that makes this one obsolete. <laughs> I don't know when that'll be, but somebody somewhere along the way and on some part of the world, maybe even another planet is going to hear this and they're going to uh, be able to to get something out of it according to the Holy Spirit. So uh, would you be willing to pray for us today? Certainly, man. You know, they say once it's on the Internet, it's, it's out there forever. So <laughs> yeah. this, this prayer will be forever. Dear Father God, I'd like to thank you first and foremost for waking me up this morning, Lord God, giving me another breath of fresh air on this planet before spending eternity with you, Lord God. Dear Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord God, for uh, opening my eyes, saving my life. I thank you for all the uh, the blessings that you have placed in my life. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit that you have given to me to help me just to, um, to take a moment, just to stop and breathe and, and, and just to allow your ways to work through my life, Lord God. Lord God, I pray for all those people that may be listening to this podcast and for those whose hearts that it may touch and for even for those whose hearts that it may not touch, Lord God, I pray for all those people, Lord God, that you will just uh, make yourself known to them, Lord God, that you will walk with them as you have promised, that you will help guide them and open their ears, maybe soften their heart a little, Lord God. And uh, to just, just help them to, uh, to see you, Lord God, as, as I see you, as so many people see you, Lord God. Help them to, to know that praying is a, a simple conversation. What I'm doing right now is just having a conversation with you, Lord God. That's as, that's as simple as praying is, Lord God. It doesn't have to be this long, difficult thing. You don't have to have the Bible memorized, Lord God. All you need to do is to spend time with you. Um, I, I pray that you will help them get some understanding. And, and if not, Lord God, you will keep them reading the Bible, reaching out to you, going to church, just doing everything until that understanding comes, Lord God. I pray for guidance in their life. Uh, I pray for you in their life, Lord God. We just thank you for so many things. The most important thing I would like to personally thank you for, Lord, is for giving us your son, Jesus, that died for our sins. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate the opportunity just to sit here and have a conversation with you, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. I, I've, I've really gotten a lot out of it, I'm telling you. You know, I, I will say one more thing. I know I talk a lot, but I didn't even mention how I met you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I skipped over that entire part when um I was, can I talk about AA here? Is that Okay. Sure. I mean, do you just, yeah, I, I want to hear yeah. your version. <laughs> when I got out of the, the center in Jacksonville, I'll make this short. I, it came, it was important for me to get connected to an AA group. And I got connected to that AA group, the one down in Mill Island. That's when I met you, Jesse. And um, I remember I, it was really important to me to find a sponsor, but I didn't know how to ask anybody. And you just came up to me <laughs> and just, <laughs> Offered to be my sponsor. I didn't even know that people did that. I thought we had to ask people to be our sponsor. I didn't know the process. I didn't know what was going on. But I just thought that was really awesome of you to take all that pressure off of me by mm -hmm. just asking me, could you be my sponsor? And, you know, and 
I, you, you, you just, once again, that was God in my life. And mm -hmm. I recognize that. And, um, I just thought you were this wonderful, soft-spoken young man. And, you know, and, uh, I, you, you just seemed always so calm and so collective and like nothing was going to rattle you. And you was just always smiling. And I said, <laughs> I want to be like that. <laughs> I really want to be like that. I want that kind of peace in my life. And um, I like the fact that the, everything from you was coming was Christ-based. And because um, I know AA start was originally Christ-based, but over time, you know, in order to reach more people, it they kind of some groups kind of take their Christianity aspect out of it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you were a Christian and that you can't walk with me became my spot wanted to be my sponsor that that was that was cool that was everything paramount to me and i thank you for that it must have been the holy spirit because i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> i remember i remember we sitting in that front room in those chairs those uh those comfortable chairs those so so comfortable Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're talking like right after one of our first meetings there i don't remember which one it was but i remember you had approached me and uh yeah that was cool well i had to be the holy spirit because you've been a real blessing to me and i thank you thank you and i and i thank you for taking the time to do this because you you're you're such a mature christian you probably don't think of yourself that way of course don't. you don't because you're too humble <laughs> but uh but but there's so many people that need to hear what you had to say, and I thank you. We hope you've been blessed by today's story. In case you haven't noticed, there are no advertisements on this podcast, and we hope to keep it that way. So if you've heard something that you think could help someone you know, please share it using the link in the show notes. Also, if you will give Faith and Purpose a positive review on your podcast platform, you could help more people find it. You will probably never know how that small effort can make a big difference in someone's life, but our Heavenly Father knows. Speaking of sharing, if you know a Jesus follower with a story to tell, please send them a link to Faith and Purpose podcast. It may encourage them to tell their story. That person may even be you. Our only criteria is that Jesus be glorified. Most Christians don't share their faith because they mistakenly think their story is not interesting enough or that it's self-centered to talk about themselves or that they are not competent to explain the gospel correctly. But none of that is relevant. If Jesus has changed your life, you have a story to tell. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours, and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. So don't be intimidated. A story is just that, a true account of your own experience, and no one can disagree with your experience. When we tell what Jesus has done in our lives, we are being obedient to his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not about theology, and it's not about how interesting or special you are. It's all about Jesus. So when you're ready to tell how Jesus has impacted your life, you can let Jesse know at his ministry website, jessieduke.net. 
There you can download guidelines that will make it easy to prepare to tell your story. Thank you for listening today and Shalom.